Uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. If you're using one of the hardback Bibles from out front, you'll find it on page uh, 22. Genesis 28. If you're visiting with us uh, this morning for the first time or the first time in a long time, um, uh, it's our practice here uh, generally, not always, not exclusively, but generally uh, to preach through books of the Bible. Uh, so you can pretty much imagine that if we're at Genesis 28 this Sunday, you know where we were last week, and you're pretty sure you know where we're going to be next week. Um, Genesis 27 last week and Genesis 29, uh, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday. Uh, let me ask, it's also uh, our practice here uh, to stand when we read God's Word together. Uh, you notice you remained standing a few minutes ago. Uh, the explanation for that is uh, we generally, although we've broken this rule too, um, we generally uh, consider it worthy of uh, honor uh, to stand when God's Word is read uh, in corporate worship. So let me ask if you're able uh, to do that now. Genesis chapter 28, uh, beginning in verse 10. We'll only read verses 10 through 22. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. When Jacob made a vow, then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. I give a full tenth to you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, you have written these words, inspired Moses to put pen to paper, and these very words, this is indeed the word of God. You have preserved and kept them for us. We need you to be at work yet once more. That you would use this word to grow us, to bring unbelievers to faith, to strengthen the faith of your children, that we might know and understand your word, but more importantly, that we might be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. 
For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Stevie Wonder has a song that, um, that bemoans change, quite honestly. Uh, he's got a song that it's all about missing the past. It's all about the fact that he is not the same person he used to be. His girlfriend, wife, whatever, not the same person she used to be. Their relationship is not the same. You know, they used to be young and foolish and fun, and he kind of wonders where those days have gone. He, he, he kind of misses those days. A song's called Yester Me, Yester You, Yesterday. It's about change. It's about the fact that people change. People grow and they're not the same uh, later in life as they were at, as in their early years. Sometimes, uh, in his mind, that change is for the worse. Many times, events come along, uh, they come through our lives and they make us different uh, and they make us better. They change us for the good. That, that's Jacob's situation in Genesis 28. This, this event is an event that comes along in Jacob's life. And, and at the end of it, he's not the same person that he was before. At the end of this dream, at the end of this encounter with this ladder, he's not the same person that he had once been. Let me remind you uh, just who Jacob was, just to, to catch you up. Again, some of you are visiting uh, for the first time. You've, you've missed the last few sermons, whatever. Uh, let me just sort of catch you up. Back up. Turn back to Genesis chapter 25. And let's, let's look at Jacob's birth. Just take a quick tour of uh, Jacob's life. Rebecca, his, his mother, is pregnant with twins. Uh, she finds they're, they're wrestling, they're struggling. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 22, the children struggled together within her. And uh, she said, well, if this is thus, why, why is this happening to me? And she went and asked God what was going on. And the report comes back from God. There are two nations in your womb. The older will be the stronger. The younger will be the weaker. But the older, the stronger, he will serve the younger. That's the, the promise from even before they were born. And then when the two boys were finally born, Esau comes out first. Uh, Jacob's older brother, technically, uh, even though they're twins. And he comes out, Jacob comes out holding on to his brother's heel. And, and you get the sense he's been, he's been grabbing his brother's heel ever since. He's been grasping for his brother and for what his brother had ever since their birth. He's a, he's a heel grabber. He's a usurper. He's a, an underminer. Uh, of sorts. And ever since that day, ever since that birth, he's wanted whatever Esau by right of birth has had. In fact, at the end of Genesis 25, Esau comes in from the field. He's been out hunting and he's, he's starving. He's hungry. He 
Um, he wants food badly. Well, Jacob just happens to have a nice bowl of red stew. Give me some stew, Esau says. Well, Jacob finds, here's my chance. Here's my opportunity. You give me your birthright, I'll give you some of this stew. Esau didn't care about the birthright. What, what, what good is a birthright to me if I'm dead? He despised, we're told at the end of Genesis 25, he despised his birthright. Again, Jacob wanted what Esau had. You're the older brother. You have the rights that belong with the older brother. Never mind that God had promised Jacob that the roles would be reversed. And so Jacob spends his life, it seems, cheating his brother out of everything he can. Because then there's the passage we looked at last week, Genesis 27. And there, Jacob lies to his father, cheats his brother, steals his brother's blessing. Now, again, it was supposed to be Jacob's all along. Uh, Isaac is in sin through all of this. Uh, There's sin shared. Uh, We won't rehash all of that. But the point is that Jacob, nonetheless, his brother is about to be blessed by his father. And so he lies and cheats and steals in order to get that blessing. And then we see in verse 41 of chapter 27, Esau has had enough. Esau decides, look, you've cheated me out of my birthright. You've stolen my blessing. You're a lying, cheating, swindling younger brother. My father is, my father thinks he's going to die soon. He, le- he lives at least another 20 years, by the way. Um, and when he dies, then all bets are off. Then I'll be free to kill Jacob and take everything back for myself. Esau decides he can kill his younger brother. Now here's why all of that matters. Jacob is running for his life. Okay. Technically, he's running for a wife, but he's really running for his life. The published reason, the reason given for why Jacob has left his home, we find it in verse uh, 46, oh, I mean, I loathe my life because of these Hittite women. Esau has married two Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will it be to me? And so she goes to Isaac and says, look, we have got to send Jacob back to my family, back to Uncle Laban, Rebekah's brother, so that he can find a wife from there. So the, the announced reason, the published reason, and even then, Rebecca had to kind of manipulate her husband a little bit, didn't she? But the published reason is for him to go and find a wife. There's, a, there's an aside application there, right? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the original audience of the book of Genesis. They're traveling from Egypt to the promised land. Moses has written the first five books of the Bible. 
They're going into Canaan. And they read here, oh, wait a minute, Esau, old uncle Esau, you know, the uncle that is the troublemaker uncle. Esau's descendants, the Edomites, cause trouble for Israel as they're trying to make this pilgrimage from Egypt to the promised land. Esau married Canaanites. Rebecca would have none of that. She sent Jacob back to marry within the family. There's an encouragement here to the original audience and to us. The encouragement, this is really, this is really Old Testament version of 1 Corinthians 7. Only, believers should only marry other believers. That, that, that's exactly what's going on here. This, this original audience, the Israelites en route to the promised land, they read this as a warning. Okay, when we get there, now God will clearly command, don't marry them. But they would have this image already. Of course we shouldn't marry them. They're troublemakers. They cause problems for people. They're foreigners. They don't worship the same God we do. When they get there, okay, we need to remember, we only marry other believers, other Israelites, other people who are in the same household of faith. Jacob leaves to go and find a wife. That's the announced reason. That's, that's the reason they publish in the paper. Uh, that's the reason that the town crier gives. It's the reason you know, they, that gets through town. But truth is, Rebecca wants to spare his life. Rebecca wants to make sure that Jacob and Esau don't die on the same day. Because if Esau kills Jacob, then there's a clear command of capital punishment back in Genesis 9. Esau, if Esau kills Jacob, Esau must be put to death. Rebecca's afraid of losing, of the possibility of losing both sons in the same day. Don't miss this. Jacob is the son of promise. He's the promised son of Isaac, the promised son of Abraham. He's the son through whom the promise of the seed of the woman, that that promise given all the way back in Genesis 3, she will come through Jacob. This is the one that, that Malachi describes and Paul in Romans describes when they, they write, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. That's God speaking even before they were born. God from, from the womb, God chose Jacob and rejected Esau. He's grown up in the land promised to Abraham and to Isaac. You should feel this tension. Because he just left that land. He's, he just left the promised place and the promised people. The son of promise is no longer where he should be. He's no longer in the promised land, in the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's promised to give that land to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants. And yet Jacob has no descendants. He doesn't even have a wife. And he's no longer in that land. You, you, should, you should sense the danger. Lying cheating, conniving, usurping Jacob. 
no good scoundrel that he is, is on the run to save his life away from the place of promise. That's the background. That's Jacob's story up till now. Notice the dream he has lying there on the dirt, this rock for a pillow. You can follow his eyes in verses 12 and 13 of of Genesis 28. He dreams and behold there's a ladder and it's on the earth. Notice notice the writer begins at at Jacob's eye level. He's, He's asleep. And having this dream, and, and if you were lying down on the ground with a rock for your, for your pillow, and you were to open your eyes, you would see the bottom of the ladder first. And, and you get the sense that's exactly what he does here. He sees the ladder and it's there on the ground. But follow his eyes. As his eyes sort of, oh look, the, the bottom of a ladder. Oh look, there's angels going up and down this ladder. And he follows the ladder up higher. Oh, and... God's at the top of the ladder. Yahweh is at the top of this ladder, this stairway. Jacob, who's not in the place of promise, and who has been a a lying, cheating, swindling, conniving, no good scoundrel. I mean, like, would you really want to hang out with Jacob? Jacob. I don't, I, don't, I don't think you would ever know whether you could trust anything coming out of his mouth or not. You don't want to hang out with people that when they speak, you really aren't sure if what they're saying is true. That's Jacob. And all of a sudden, God is present with him. God is with him. Not back in Canaan, not back in the, the place of promise, but in in. This place, a certain place, verse 11. We're not given a name, at least not yet. We're told later that it, that it had been called Luz uh, before. But at this point, we're not given a name. We're not told where they are. He just he came to a certain place. And, and there's this generic turn. Uh, taking the stones of the place. And he put it down in that place to sleep. It's just sort of a generic... It's, a, it's just a place. It's out there. It's not in the promised land. It's not where his family is. And yet there, in this place, God appears. God makes Himself known to Jacob. This, by the way, is the first time that Jacob has had this this face-to-face interaction with God, if you will. Surely you noticed, some of you, some of you because of your personalities, this, this would have struck you. It appears, at least in this passage, Jacob is... The writer seems to say he's alone. He's by himself. Surely he's traveling with people. Surely he's got people with him. But he, he's the only one in the passage. He's in this nameless place away from the promised land, alone. He's tired. He's he's outside. He's away from family. Bon Jovi been running around in my head all this week. Got an old coat for a pillow in the earth was last night's bed. He doesn't even have a coat. He uses a stone. 
you're, you're supposed to feel that. You, you should feel that, that hurt for Jacob, that loneliness, that aloneness in this moment. It should sound hopeless and, and fearful and uncertain. It should sound that way to us. And that's when God reveals Himself to Jacob. That's when God makes Himself known to Jacob. Look at verse 13. God standing there at the top of, of the ladder announces Himself, I am Yahweh, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of uh, Isaac. You and I know there's a name missing. Moses knows there's a name missing. That would be kind of cool to be Moses writing this at this point. Because Moses has already come in, in contact with this bush that catches on fire, except it's not really on fire because it's not burning up. And from that bush comes a voice that says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses is right. Moses would have had chills running down his arms, down his spine as he wrote this. Because he would, he would think, I'm supposed to write, and the God of Jacob... Oh, no, 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 hold on. You're, this is to Jacob. I'm writing this to Jacob. He will become known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he's, he's not that yet. He's about to be that. God is promising His presence and His protection and His care for Jacob on his journey to go and find a wife from Uncle Laban's household. The God of his father, the God of his grandfather has now come and found Jacob in the middle of nowhere. Is that scary? It should be. I mean, does that make your knees knock? It should. But is it also comforting? You better believe it. Look at the, the promises he gives to Jacob. Verse 13. There's a promise of, of, of land. I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. There's, there's a promise of, of land and of descendants. Remember, he's not even married yet. He's on his way to go find a wife. He doesn't have children yet. And he, he may be in his 70s by now. He's at least well beyond 40. The land of promise has just grown. It now includes this place where he uh, slept last night. This place where he has this vision of this ladder. And that land will belong to him and to his offspring. But notice it gets better. See, this is, this is where you and I probably would do well to get our priorities straight. You know, for many of us, spouse, children, property, that sounds like the pinnacle. I mean, you know, there, there's a part of me that kind of goes, if I've got those things, I'm good. I think that's not aiming high enough. Because that wasn't the pinnacle of God's promise to Jacob. He promises land and children, and by implication, a wife. But then he comes along with something even better, something even greater. Notice verse 15. 
I am with you. God says to Jacob, look, wherever, whenever, forever, I am with you. God's presence with his people is the pinnacle. We can live both in this life and the next without a spouse, without children, and quite honestly, without really owning a land. You cannot live in this life or the next. Certainly not in the next without God. God looks at Jacob and says, look, I'm I'm with you. I'm on this trip with you. I will be your God. You will be my son. And I am promising my presence, my protection, wherever, whenever, forever. That's the pinnacle. That's the, the top of God's promise to his people. For that matter, this is the same promise that God gave to Abraham. I mean, we could, we could look back and retrace those promises if you want to. But I don't think that helps as much as looking forward. Because you and I actually get the exact same promise. Perhaps some of the scariest verses to us in all of Scripture, some of, for many of us, are Matthew 28, 18-20. The Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It, for most of us, we would have to admit that evangelism is, is frightening. But we stop reading too early. Because the very next sentence is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You have the promise of God's presence in Christ. You have the promise, the same promise given to Jacob. You have a promise to be with you wherever, whenever, forever. In fact, we're going to sing a song in a few minutes. Isaiah 43, literally taking the words of Scripture right on our lips. And you'll notice the refrain over and over again. Fire, flood, nothing. I'm with you wherever, whenever, forever. Notice, Jacob wasn't looking for God in this passage. Yesterday I went to a funeral at a, um, a particular Baptist church in this community. We'll leave it there. A place that would um, openly uh, not embrace our Reformed theology, being the, the Presbyterian church that we are. And during the funeral, the pastor there was making a comment about um, the deceased having a past. And he said, for that matter, I had a, a past. We all have a past. And, and he basically said, I was a scoundrel when Jesus found me. I was struck by that sentence. Because he admitted he wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus came and found him. Oh, he's, he's all about grace. He, I'm not 
I'm not suggesting that he would ever for a moment say, well, I earned God's favor. He, he recognizes that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But that's Jacob's story. That's your story. Jacob's not looking for God. And God finds him. God pursued him. Is that not your story? Isn't that our story? Isn't that we all have a past? Yeah, we absolutely do. Yes, we all change. We all become different through an encounter with God in Christ. That's our hope and, quite honestly, our great joy. Notice what happens. Notice how Jacob changes, though. Notice how he's different. Verses 16 to 22, the place. It had a name before called Luz. Now it's called Bethel. Literally, the house of God. Um, but that's where God has, has met with Jacob and, and it's now the house of God. And his pillow becomes a pillar. Some of you say pillar anyway. Um, that, that's just an accent. Make the distinction between you know, accent and... and it, 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 the stone he used for a pillow, he then stands up and makes it a pillar. He pours out oil on it. He's, he's, he's worshiping God. At that point, he's, he's worshiping Yahweh. It's what he has at the moment. His heart now is, is given to worshiping God. The covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Abraham and Isaac has now become the God of Jacob. Notice in verses 20 and 21, he also makes a, a vow, a lifetime of Serving God. If God's going to be with me and keep me and protect me and go with me and provide for me, then then I will serve Him. He will be my God. Yahweh, the Lord, will be my God. Jacob is a new man. Jacob is different after his encounter with this ladder. Stevie Wonder would call him Yester Jacob. But notice, it goes further still. Not only is he worshiping God, not only is he making a a vow to follow and serve the Lord the rest of his life, There's another change. And it's this last sentence in the chapter. The last of his vows. Of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Jacob has spent his life grabbing for that which was not his. At least not yet. It was promised to be his, but it wasn't his yet. He comes out of the womb holding on to his brother's heel. He cheats his brother out of his birthright. He cheats his brother, lies to his father, I mean to his face. Yes, I'm Esau, so that he can have Esau's blessing. His whole life, it seems, has been marked by somebody always trying to figure out how can I get what he's got? How can I get what he's got coming to him? And after this encounter with the ladder, the stuff doesn't matter anymore. 
I'm going to give you, God, a tenth of all that you give me. All the increase I get for the rest of my life, I'm giving a tenth back to you. I'm going to tithe for the rest of my life. The gospel has always made selfish people to be givers. It's, an, it's evidence of conversion. It's evidence of the change that's come through our own encounter with this ladder. Now the stealing taker has become a generous giver. The real question is why? Or, or maybe better, how? How can that be so? How can that be true? How can it be that Jacob, the lying, stealing, cheating, usurping, scoundrel, younger brother, always grasping at his older brother, how can he be so different now? The, there's only one answer. And the only possible answer in this passage is that it is the grace of God that changes him. God comes to him. God pursues him. God calls him. God blesses him. God makes these vows and, and promises to be with and to protect and provide for Jacob for the rest of his life and to give this land to Jacob and to his descendants after him. It's all of God's grace. There's nothing about Jacob that you go, I can see why God did that. Yeah, Jacob's a good guy. I can see why God would have chosen him. Yeah, I, mean, I, I probably would, wanna, would want him in, in my deer club. I, I'd probably want him in my you know, poker night group. I'd probably want to you know, take vacation trips with him. None of those things are true. There's absolutely nothing commending about Jacob. That, by the way, would make our New Testament reading make a lot more sense to you if we had read one verse further. Because in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus, He's says to Nathanael, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see what's missing in Jesus' language in John 1? There's no ladder. Well, actually, that's not true. There is a ladder. Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is the place where, where the, the gap between God and man, between heaven and earth, is bridged, is closed. Jesus is the one in whom God's presence and protection is promised to His people. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation. Maybe you've thought or said, as I've heard countless people say before, one of these days when I get older or I, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to, I'm going to get cleaned up, and, and then, I'll, then I'll think about church and Jesus and God and, and that sort of stuff. I'll, let me get my life in order, and, and one day, someday, then I will put God first in my life kind of stuff. We, that's, that's the kind of language you hear. That's not how it works. 
Jacob didn't clean himself up so that God would want him. Jacob became clean because God called him. Jacob is changed because God changes him. Come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin. Believe in Christ. Trust in Him alone for your salvation. Only then can you, will you change. If you're here this morning and you're a believer trusting in Christ, you're reminded all over again that your access to God is not through your own works. Did you notice Jacob doesn't climb the ladder? We're not climbing Jacob's ladder. Angels are coming up and down. God's coming to us. Jacob never actually got on the ladder. You didn't climb your way to heaven. You didn't climb your way to Jesus. He came to you. He changes you. He's promised His presence with you and His protection to be with you. Can you see the change in your own life? Are you a a cheerful giver, a responsive, joyful worshiper? Be comforted and encouraged by the promise of Christ when He says to you, I am with you always, wherever, whenever, forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace uh, shown to us, given to us uh, in Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, that, that in Him and Him alone we have the promise of uh, your presence and your protection and of deliverance. Father, we pray that you would grow in us a, a deeper sense of gratitude for our salvation, of response to our salvation by being joyful worshipers and generous givers. And Father, we pray that You would comfort and encourage us to go out into um, what can be a lonely world, a world that opposes You and Your kingdom. It can be a scary and frightening place, but we go not alone. We go not even just together as believers. We go with You. Because you've given us your presence. Strengthen us and equip us by that promise. We pray in Christ. Amen.